Hey, Wizzes, welcome to episode 231 of the Food Biz Wiz podcast. Today, I am really thrilled to have a guest Maureen Wangian with us today. Maureen is the brand growth strategist behind some of America's most beloved brands like L'Oreal, Chobani, Dove, and Lay's. She is the creator of Big Brand Academy, the product Profit Lab, and Start Word Consulting, a consulting firm dedicated to teaching product-based entrepreneurs the sales and marketing strategies they need to scale with scientific precision so they can turn their product brands into household names. Now, I don't want to give away too much here in the intro, but Maureen's genius is in connecting with a market and turning real data into brand growth strategies that work. We are talking about looking at your numbers and making decisions based off what you see. Outside of Maureen's work in brand strategy, her nonprofit organization, Tajvi Foundation, supports boys in Kenya to get the education they need to lift their families out of poverty and build generational wealth. Maureen is awesome. <laughs> Now, in today's episode, Maureen's going to share more about how you get past that plateau that many brands hit in e-commerce, all while continuing to stay strategic so that you're not burning out or working unsustainable amounts of hours. You know me, we are all about being strategic with our time and our efforts so that we're working smarter and not necessarily harder. So I can't wait to dive into all of these topics with Maureen. Let's get right into it. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Wiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. Instead of having a sponsor for today's episode, I want to give you a freebie, my retail roadmap. This roadmap is essential for anyone launching or growing a packaged food product, as it clearly outlines the difference between creating a product line that flies off the retail shelf versus one that just sits there. Find my free retail roadmap linked in today's show notes. You are going to love it. Hi, my wizards, and welcome back to episode 231 of the Food Biz Wiz podcast. I shared a bit about Maureen in our intro, and I know that we've got a ton of stuff to talk about today. But before we get into the episode, I'll just say, hi, Maureen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Ali. I'm so excited to talk to you today. It kind of feels really exciting because I remember when I joined, or meaning joined, when I became an entrepreneur, you were the first person I stumbled on. On the in the industry, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm on your podcast today. So thank you for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. Full circle. It, yes. It's you know, when I stumbled upon you, you know, I think it was a couple years after you you started your business. I was like, how do I not know this woman? How you know where has she been? This is exactly what we need to supplement our retail ready curriculum. So. 
I'm glad that it's coming full circle. And, and always happens at the right time. Exactly. Exactly. So Maureen, let's let's take it from the top for our listeners and let's talk a little bit before we talk about what you do now. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your journey with entrepreneurship. I know both your parents were entrepreneurs, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, how'd you get into it? Let's talk about it. So one of my favorite quotes is by Charles Swindle, where he says, life is 90% how you respond to it and 10% what actually happens to you. And that is a good segue to a little bit about my life. So my entrepreneurship journey actually started at the dinner table when I was 14 years old. So my parents are entrepreneurs in Kenya, second generation entrepreneurs. My grandfather had a building and construction business and he handed it over to my dad. So for those in the US, it's something similar to a Lowe's and a Home Depot in Kenya. Gotcha. So if you are somebody whose parents are entrepreneurs, you know those conversations at the t- dinner table. You know when business is going really well and you know when business is going really badly. So during my teenage years, the conversations that were happening at the table were sales are down, sales are plateauing, how do we grow market share, how do we beat our competition? And one thing that I vividly recall was a call my dad got on a Saturday evening, and it happened to be a burglary that had happened at their brick and mortar store. Mm. And so first things we did, got into the car, my mom and my dad went over and we literally found that a million dollars worth of inventory had been swept out. Oh no. In that very moment, my mom passes out. My dad gets confused on, do I handle what's happening or do I handle your mom? And then he's like, just deal with your mom. I'll take care of everything. So what's soon after, of course, my mom, my, my mom recovered. Everything happened well. But my parents have been very, very resilient. So a lot of people say I get my resiliency from my parents. And they decided they were going to figure out how to bring about how to spring back. And what they decided to do was they decided to hire a consultant because, of course, as an entrepreneur, the worst thing that you could lose is your inventory. You can't get that back away, but you need to make sales in order to increase your cash flow in order to buy more inventory. And so the consultant told them that, of course, with globalization, people can order their products from China, which means people can buy the exact same thing that you are selling. So what makes you different? What makes you distinct? And he said, you need to work on your branding. My mom and I have mm. always been close. And so my mom came and told me, this dude told us that we need to work on our branding. And as a young child, I'm like, what is branding? And so that was actually what sparked my curiosity to trying to figure out what the heck branding and marketing is. And it is what I decided to pursue once I finished my high school. Uh, my high school, once I fin- graduated from high school, I decided after my, uh, for college, I'm going to pursue a degree in marketing. Unfortunately, I didn't do that. I decided to pursue a degree in finance, but I was like, my passion is to help my parents. And so I wanted to really study abroad. So I applied to the US, I, came, I got accepted. And then my parents were like, what do you mean you want to go to the US? And you know, we do not have money anymore. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I got a scholarship, but I packed I packed my two suitcases, came over to the U.S. with about $50 to my name, and I started my master's program. My master's program was a a master's in business analytics. Little did I know was marketing analytics, which then gave me the opportunity once I graduated to work with some of the most beloved American brands, 
like L'Oreal, Chobani, Dove and Lays. And that's when I really got a crystal clear picture of what branding and marketing is, especially from the big guys. And one thing that I know is that my parents paid the price. But I also do know that I'm going to pay it forward by helping entrepreneurs and teaching them particularly how to brand and market themselves so that they can accelerate their sales. And that is what I decided to do. That's why I started my business. I decided to help small and emerging entrepreneurs by teaching them the sales and marketing the strategies they need without a billion dollar budget. And that's yes. what, that's where I am now. <laughs> wow. Okay. I I will had never heard this story about the burglary and <laughs> how it led to the consultant and yeah. how that led to being inspired. Wow, Maureen, that's a that's a great story. And you know, as as you outline all the steps there, I'm like, oh, no wonder why Maureen is so good with the numbers. No wonder why Maureen is all about the story that the numbers yeah. tell and yeah. then how we use those numbers to make decisions. Because that's yes. I mean, that's what you're trained in. That's that's it. Yeah. yeah. That's all Great. I know how to do. <laughs> Great. Okay. So let's give me the like um, 30 second version on what you do now. You said sales and marketing with yes. brands. Yes. Yeah. So I, I say I teach emerging entrepreneurs the sales and marketing strategies they need to grow their beloved product brands with scientific precision. Yes. Okay. That's it. Mm -hmm. that's it. And so food, beverage, Health and beauty. I mean, yes. one of the reasons personal why care. I was personal care. Yeah. One of the reasons why I was so delighted to find you was because of your experience with personal care, right? Mm -hmm. That certainly we have personal care brands inside of Retail Ready, but you know, my background's in food and beverage mm -hmm. and personal care is different. Yes. There are a lot of similarities, but lots of differences, particularly when we're talking about e commerce, which I know is a, a strength of yours mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. What a background. Yes. Do your parents still live in Kenya? Yes. My Both my parents are in Kenya. So my husband and I, we live in the U.S. now in Dallas, Texas. We go home about once or twice a year because they're empty nesters. But my sister is now in the U.S. pursuing her undergrad. What All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And are your parents retired or are they still no, making it work? Still, with they're, the, still, they're still running the their business, but their business oh. is well leveraged. Mm. So my mom is just golfing and, and retiring in style, but the business is running. The beauty of entrepreneurship. <laughs> Good for her. Good for her. And what inspiration for you growing up as well? Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's, let's talk about this. I want to, I want to focus on e-commerce. Because like I said, I know, I know that's your strength. Yeah. And the first thing I want to talk about is this, how brands can identify new growth opportunities or new sales opportunities in their business, right? Because that's always what we're looking for. Like, where am I going to grow? Where am I going to increase sales? How, you know, what happens next? But it's typically really expensive, really time consuming, really a resource drain, in order to do that. And I know you've got some ideas on how brands how brands can find those growth opportunities without big budgets and without yep. just investing at all. So talk to me about that. How did they do it? And I love this question because it ties into what you said. I'm all about the numbers. And one thing I've noticed, especially with emerging brands, is a lot of people haven't spent time really architecting their product, product assortment to match the business needs 
and their customer needs. So this is a simple, simple exercise that you need to do. And what I want you to do as you're listening to this episode is think about three or four buckets. You can categorize the products you sell. So I'll use priority one through priority four. So I want you to find a product that is an everyday product. This typically tends to be your best selling product and then assign the role that product plays, right? You want to make sure that this product is literally attracting new customers, right? Because if it's a value-driven product, it's driving your volume, it's also attracting sales, then you'll know what time of the year to promote this. Mm-hmm. So that's bucket one. Okay. Bucket two, I want you now to find a product that is an incremental purchase, but also has a really high profit margin. Mm-hmm. So find a okay. product that has a high profit margin, and then the role for that product, you're going to make sure it's a product that is an incremental purchase. Like you, you know, when you're trying to increase your LTO, you're trying to get people to increase their basket size, put that into priority priority two, bucket two. And that will show you when you're running a promotion, what to add in. It'll also mm-hmm. show you what product to promote and discount and not discount. Maureen, my brain is going <laughs> off in, in uh, running wild with the example. So yeah. can you run us through the four and then maybe... Yeah, I'll, give an example. I'll, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, can I repeat it back to you on where my brain's going? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 What's number three? Number three is this is this is a bucket where a lot of you are creatives. You want to launch new products. You want to drive buzz potential. You want people to be super duper excited. This is the bucket where you're going to think about a product that when you put it out into market, tends to be a limited time offer. For you guys who are familiar, we call this LTO. The role of this, this product is to create boss potential, right? Then that means you're going to have a certain time of the year where you're launching this new product yep, or you're re-releasing it. Sometimes you probably have it for a certain period of time and then you're re-releasing it. And yep. then the third bucket is a, a product that literally you feel like if you created it or when people buy it, it brings you a lot of um, brand advocates, brand ambassadors. It fosters mm-hmm. loyalty. It fosters community. And this is this is a product that helps you achieve the role of your brand. A lot of people think about this as a product for personalization. So mm-hmm. as I think about um, an example, I'm going to use beauty brand for this example Ali's your food business. Honestly, I'm not food and beverage space, but I have a passion for beauty, so I'll stick with beauty. Okay, so great. Let's let's take a skincare product. So a lot of people in the skincare space either have a cleanser, an essence or toner, a serum, or a moisturizer, right? Yes. So yes. as we're thinking about an everyday product, a lot of people will constantly always have an essence, a cleanser, and a moisturizer. That yes. would fall under bucket one. Yes. It's always available. It's a consumable. People will order every single time. Yep. As we're thinking about bucket two, which is a high profit item, a lot of times this tends to be a serum. If you're if you're the beauty space, serums range from $75 to $200, depending oh, yeah. on what you're buying. I'm over here nodding along for those who can't see me on video being like, oh yeah, I'm thinking about the cost of my serum. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There right. you go. That's a high that's profit an margin. Incre- 
Exactly. That's an incremental purchase. A product like that is not a product that you're really going to discount because you want people to buy it at close to full price because it actually does what it says it does, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about the third product that drives um, excitement, that drives buzz, could be a scrub, a clay mask, right? If yep. people don't really need it, also remember the purchasing cycle for a mask is very, very long. Yes, right, right. <laughs> right? Gosh, I mean, think about how often you're doing that. Exactly. And it in your, could be in your yeah. cabinet for years. For years, yeah. yeah. And then bucket four, for something that is driving personalization or fostering loyalty could be like a custom bundle you create for your audience mm-hmm. or offering skincare consultations. Mm. Yep. I yep. see. So when you have these different tiers, it shows you how you're going to promote and sell throughout the year. It's not yes. about making more. It's not about doing more. It's not about running more paid ads. It's about how do you architect your assortment to match your customer needs and also match your brand needs. Great. Okay. So let me repeat it back to you with a food example and you tell me if I'm on the the same page. Yeah. Okay. So let's say I'm a beekeeper and my everyday product is my wildflower honey, right? Like that is my, my mainstay product. People are just buying my classic wildflower honey day in and day out. My bucket number two, the incremental and the high profit margin, maybe this is my honeycomb and I only sell it seasonally and it's, you know, super fancy and it's a great add on and I don't discount it because it's limited quantity and really precious for the people who are like making charcuterie boards and want some like honeycomb on there, right? My bucket number three is my buzz buzzworthy product. So maybe I'm making a seasonal truffle honey. Yes. And it only comes out in the fall. And I'm yeah. partnering with some like truffle forager in Italy. And it's this big, you know, sexy truffle season splash in the fall. And then number five, as I'm, or excuse me, number four, as I'm trying to build these brand advocates, maybe I'm doing something like a honey trio that gives back yes. to climate change organizations that support my my mission exactly. as a beekeeper or something. Did exactly. I get that correct? Yeah, you nailed okay. it. Awesome. That's exactly it. And awesome. and I think it's a you you and I in the same space, and I think it makes a lot of sense because. What I've noticed, you can tell me this if I'm right or wrong, a lot of people don't have seasons and cycles where they're selling. I've noticed people just wait for holiday, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, (laughs) and gifting to sell, right? And this strategy can, like, literally can be a roadmap for you of when to release new products, when to market these products. And I've seen it work like magic for my clients. Well, what I like about this idea is that we've got these four core buckets. Yeah. And even Maureen, you know, you use as an example and with skincare, in your bucket number one, you had several SKUs. And yes. right. It, it doesn't need to be one single one. we aren't saying only sell four SKUs in your business. Mm-hmm. We're saying you've got these four buckets and then each, you know, you can have multiple SKUs in each mm-hmm. bucket. And so what I, I like about this is that we could sit down. You know, at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the quarter, yeah. anytime. When you're listening to this podcast episode, sit down and you say, okay, here are my four buckets. 
And now I'm just going to map out the next 12 months. And I know sales are usually slow in July. Yeah. I don't really have anything like on the calendar going on. I don't really have like a reason to sell one thing or another. Hey, I'm going to make a push for bucket number four. Yeah. And start like talking about climate change and how my honey supports sales of that. Right. It just fills the gap in my content calendar. Yep. Got it. Got Mm -hmm. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even when you're running ads, it yeah. has you're not if you it, it just fills a gap for everything in your e-commerce business. Where my brain is going is thinking about how it translates to retail as well. And it can. Right? It can. We, yeah. we can obviously we know, or I shouldn't say obviously, take that back. We are expected to do quarterly promotions yes. in retail. Yes. And I think it's very important to make sure you're doing quarterly promotions that align with the seasonality of your product. Yes. And here, Maureen, I, I I see your four buckets playing into, yeah, sure, some seasonality, but also we can invent seasonality. Yeah. And I think buyers, well, I have some background in retail. I just don't talk about retail. It's not my sweet spot. <laughs> and I think also buyers are always looking for ideas. It's a yeah. partnership. It's a yes. co-promotion. Some of these accounts are also so this you're in this space. Like the the retailers work with the manufacturers. The manufacturers have their calendar, their calendar. They try to match up with the retail calendar. So you can ask your buyer for their retail calendar, and then you can see where you can plot yourself in. Totally. You know, like I used to do all of the like really high end holiday purchasing mm-hmm. in June, July, and August. We had mm-hmm. the deadline of holiday purchasing as, you know, August 15th or something so that we could hand over that product book to marketing who would develop it into the holiday catalog yes. that gets published November 1st, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I hear you saying, Maureen, is, okay, yeah, if we're thinking about this in the eyes of retail, we're pitching the holiday products yes. in June. Yeah. Right? Yep. Great. Then it goes Great. live in November in retail. Yes. You're also going live on your e-commerce if you have an e So it's like, it's just, it synchronizes easily. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate how you build the system once. Yes. And then you're just plugging and playing throughout the year. So you're not sitting down September 1st being like, oh, shoot. What yeah. should I do this yeah. month to yeah. increase sales? Yeah. Which is a really tough skill for emerging entrepreneurs. Strategic planning is something that's really hard because a lot of people are very reactive, but I usually tell people, if you can crack this planning, you've cracked the code. Mm. Because once you have the system, all you need to do is get more people through the door. Yeah. And let's be clear, this can be as easy as a Google document. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. A spreadsheet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like we're not talking like anything fancy for Mm -hmm. our listeners who are like, Okay, like yeah. I hear it's you. I want to do this, like, but I'm a little overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is the first step just to open a Google? Just open a Google for the, the months. months. Yeah, for the twelve months of the year uh, on the top on the left. Just put the selling season, the selling cycle, what you're promoting, the launch, the product you're promoting, and what's the goal of each. Yeah, and then write it down. Got it. Got it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to keep talking about growth. Yeah, let's go for it. Maureen, you've got this silver bullet 
that you talk about, the silver bullet that people often overlook in the e-com space. What's what's the silver bullet for growth? Knowing your customers. And the mm-hmm. only way I know you know your customers if you know your numbers. What do you mean by that? So this is a thing. Knowing your numbers means you know your customers. And why I say that is because consumers buy brands. Always remember that. Consumers buy brands. But unfortunately, entrepreneurs are selling products. Mm. So for a CEO, you have to shift your mindset to think brand before product. And what does that look like from your numbers perspective? First of all, let's go to your product assortment. Perfect segue to what we talked about before. Your product assortment, do you have a crystal clear on the buying patterns of each product and why people buy the product they buy? What are so for yeah, for example, here, let's say the face mask. Yeah. Right? We're like, okay, a face mask, you know, the average reorder on that is once every eight months. Once, yes. But the average reorder on the cleanser is once every two months. Is exactly. that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And then so cycle? based okay, on great. that, based on that, what is a consumer more willing to pay for? That impacts how you price your product, when you sell that product, and whether you promote that product. Okay, so like, what would they be willing to pay for? Like, what goes back? What do you mean? You know, yeah. So, <laughs> what do they really need the most? Like, what what product in that assortment addresses the very need that your audience has? Goes yeah. back to what's your value proposition? What's your big idea? What's that singular idea you're trying to convey? So, for example, if your singular idea is you're a skin malist, meaning you just believe in a very few products to get your skin to to be glowy. Mm-hmm. If you only have like a bundle of serums, like say two bundle of serums, those two bundle of serums should be heck very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Right. Kind of it's it's like you're putting all your, you know, metaphorical eggs in yes. those, you know, a very limited range of products. Yeah. Right. So you're like, yep. and it's expensive because and it's like putting gold on your face. Exactly. Yep. And some sometimes people are like, oh, this is a product I really, really want people to buy. It doesn't result, but they don't price it appropriately. So you're mm-hmm. telling me, so that basically tells me that your customer psychology and your customer mindset isn't baked in. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So if I were a brand founder. What I'm hearing is, so if Maureen, I came to you and I were like, this product works, right? Like I've, I've worked with the product developers, maybe on the food side, I've worked with food scientists. Like it's, it's a, it's really ha- the high functionality yeah. here. Yeah. But, and I'm sure you hear this, Maureen, tell me if you do. People would pay. Really? Yeah. People won't pay $149. For 1.7 ounces of this yep. serum, like how could I possibly charge that much? I'm going to charge $39.99 and I'll just sell a whole bunch more. Yeah. That means my, where's thinking, the flaw in my thinking? You're thinking product. You're thinking you're selling me a product. You're not thinking yes. the consumer is, is buying a brand. Yes. Because that's, that's what I buy. That's what you buy, right? Everybody mm-hmm. wants to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. And that something is your big idea. So if you're finding yourself grappling with, I know this is my best-selling product, but I can't price at this point. 
just shift away from the pricing and move into what is that big idea? What's that galvanizing thought that I want people to have regarding my brand? It's you just do it. It's yeah. the, what's a rallying cry that you want people to have. If you yeah. push that rallying cry, you, you're going to sell the thing. Because I think what people want right now, and it's so funny as, as a time of this recording, I was, I'm thinking about recording something. People want to be part of a movement. People mm. don't want to be part of a moment anymore. So what we've about that. So huh, goes, oh my God, you're tapping into my zone of genius. So what I've noticed is that as a product entrepreneur, we focus so much in that moment, like the cleanser or this, the serum. Mm -hmm. You focus mm -hmm. on the moment I will apply my cleanser. That's a one-time moment. So even when you're marketing, you're just going to focus on showing me how I use it when I yeah. use it. Yeah. But what I've that noticed- And that sounds boring. Right. It sounds like how many over time, right? How much content yeah. can you create can you about washing that? your face? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what people want, I do a lot of research. I'm, I, my background is in consumer insights. What we've seen over time is that consumer behavior is shifting towards people wanting to be a part of something. People, which is a movement. What is that big idea? What are, what are you trying to sell? What, what's your expression? What's the identity? What's that aspirational thing that you want people to buy into? Yeah, so for okay. you, for that serum, I gave you an idea. I gave you skin list. So you're yeah. basically selling the identity and the idea of being a minimalist. If you yes. watch Netflix, if you've not watched the minimalist show on Netflix, that's a good time for you to go and watch it. You'll see how they're pushing this idea of decluttering, creating yeah. space. That's the movement you're selling. So that also expands the type of creative and the type of content you create. Yes. Okay. I so I am so on board with you about this. One of the things we talk about in Retail Ready that directly aligns here, I think, Maureen, is that if your audience is fixated on the price of your product, you haven't given them any other thing to care about. Yes. Right? And mm -hmm. so that, that's that shift there, right? Away yeah. from product to building a brand that resonates with consumers. Absolutely. Great. Okay. And I can see how, gosh, I love that you're coming at it from the e-com perspective because I, I can see how this so clearly then creates your content strategy. It's everything. It's, it's everything. your marketing strategy. It's a... Everything you're all consuming from the big brands. Yeah. Okay. This Great. is the thing. And, and just to explain that part, part more clearly is consumers cannot differentiate a product. Mm. So Peanut butter it, is peanut butter. Peanut butter is peanut butter. Because they can't differentiate a product, if you don't articulate the big idea, they're going to find other external factors to differentiate that product from somebody else, which tends to be price. Right. Right. Exactly. If everything is just looks like peanut butter on the shelves, yep. then yeah, price is the thing. Yeah. The, the, the place where people are making decisions. Mm -hmm. But if your peanut butter is giving back to, I'll use you as an example, schools in... Kenya, right? Yeah. Then like maybe I'm choosing this peanut butter yeah. over a, a different yeah. peanut butter. Or even mm -hmm. if you don't have like a purpose like that of giving right. back, if you're driving something like a minimalist routine or yes. you're probably an ex-doctor who's decided to create a product like that's credibility or exactly. you have yes. a process that is very efficient and you have saved X in the planet, 
that's something that people buy into. So your big idea t- stems from your, your, you, your person, or your people, your team, could be your product, your, your, your process, and lastly, your product. Mm. So if I you don't have a you saying that, yeah, I really appreciate that, that it doesn't have to be some big, like, altruistic yes. gesture where you're changing the world, right? Yeah. Some brands don't do that. Don't. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, right? You know, so that that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I hear is that it doesn't have to be, we don't have to just go out and invent, like, charitable yeah. causes Mm-mm. for our brands, but we mm-hmm. do need to tap into what makes our consumers choose us. We have to be really exactly yes. So you always want to ask yourself, what kind of brand am I building for the consumer that I know so well? Can I ask a clarifying question here? Mm-hmm. Go for it. Which comes first? Do you identify your big why, like your reason why? And then you go out and find the consumers who resonate Mm -hmm. with that? Mm -hmm. Or are you saying, okay, I'm launching my product, and then I'm going to go out and talk to all the people who are buying, and I'm going to find out what they like the most about my brand? So a lot of times people have the why first Mm -hmm. and then the product. I see that. I've I've found many people, big, small brands, people saw the gap. They wanted to fill this gap with this particular product and they had a reason why they were doing it. Yes. What happens is when they go to the launch phase, they're very fearful of talking about the initial why. So they watered down that big idea and it now seems, looks like everybody else. Oh, yeah. I have yeah. seen that too. You've seen that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, shoot, my audience doesn't connect yeah. with messaging and it's like well yeah you didn't really say your thing exactly even when they're hiring graphic designers they initially they're fearful of communicating and articulating that deeper why so the graphic designer or the photographer ends up doing something generic based on what's in the category and then it's not a true reflection of what they truly wanted yes yeah Yeah, i absolutely Mm -hmm. see that too the other thing sometimes that i see sometimes is Folks have their why, they launch, and maybe they've done a good job articulating their why. And then the audience purchases and starts using the product line and giving feedback. And it turns out that the founder's big why isn't actually the reason why people love that. Yeah. And so I always think that there's this fine line that we have to walk where sometimes our audience doesn't actually care about the thing that's most important to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also in that case, if the audience is giving you feedback for your best selling item that drives a lot of volume, I would still keep selling it, but now yeah. position it with the words they're giving you. Exactly. Yeah. Instead yeah. of killing everything, I would sort of reposition it and use their own words and then get more people like that. And then yeah. now you probably can have like an LTO or a limited time offer product that taps into your why and people eventually will buy into your messaging. You're talking about the exact strategy that we put in place with Anjali's Cup, which is a line of turmeric elixirs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Anjali launched her product with the highest quality 
mm-hmm. Hawaiian grown turmeric and, mm-hmm. you know, never boiled, never heated, like really preserving the health benefits of the turmeric. And she, you know, was really adamant about mm-hmm. the sourcing and the processing. And she launched her product line and then she found people just liked it because it was delicious. Right. And they were like, you know, we actually like, we don't really care about the way it's processed. It tastes great and it works. So like, you know, and so it's been really interesting to watch over the past couple of years, how Anjali has changed, has subtly shifted her messaging Mm -hmm. away from, away from talking about the no boiling, no heating and more about the efficacy of the the turmeric and the taste and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it happens a lot to all brands of different sizes. Yeah, I'm and sure. I, and right? I think it's supposed to happen. If that didn't happen, big brands, some people in the co- big corporate offices wouldn't have jobs because consumers are mm-hmm. shifting. It's why we're constantly innovating. Innovation departments are built for that same reason. Right? That's true, Maureen. I think, yeah. I think we often think that we launch a product and it should just be our product forever mm-hmm. and ever. Mm-hmm. And it somehow is a failure if mm-hmm. you know it doesn't have you know, resiliency over 10 plus years. Yeah. But I hear you when you say that's that's not true. That's not true. It's just, it's right now as we're recording, it's, um, you've probably seen this, the story of the Stanley Cup. It's been mm-hmm. instant years before it became a big deal. Nothing changed about it, just a different type of audience they tapped into and it's the same thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe it's just more painful for smaller yeah. brands, right? It's Who don't right. have yeah. an innovation department mm-hmm. on their team figuring out I, what comes next. For small brands, what I definitely recommend, my friend, is constantly be listening and reading consumer feedback. Because mm-hmm. that feedback should impact your messaging. It's your messaging that drives sales. It's because I tell people it's distinction that influences perception. Perception is what leads to sales. Gotcha. And to be clear, we're talking about the people who have handed over their money. Yes. Yes. Shall pay for your product, <laughs> not just your people who are responding to polls and your Instagram yeah. story. People who've actually bought your product. Got it. Talk to your consumers. Talk to your consumers. They'll tell you. Okay. So this silver bullet here, let me repeat what I heard, really is making sure the silver bullet for growth is making sure that we're switching away from just selling a product, selling a product, selling a product, and shifting towards building a brand that resonates with our consumers. Yes. And one of the ways that we can measure our success in this is by knowing and tracking and knowing, analyzing our numbers. Yes. Did I miss anything there? No. And it's all numbers, your assortment, your margin by item, your direct labor costs, your return on ad spend, because your return on ad spend will actually tell you what people are gravitating towards first. Mm-hmm. I had a client who was running ads to a bundle and she was like, Maureen, I'm constantly running ads to this bundle and nobody is buying. People are just buying this $15 product. I'm like, okay, so that tells you something about your trial consumer, they just want this $15 item. So how do we upsell them to buy the bundle that changes your customer journey? Right. So what I hear you say is a bundle is perhaps too big of a leap, right? Like, I don't know you. I don't know your product line. Why would I want four SKUs if I don't even know that one works? Yeah. Gotcha. 
And then now that also influences, do I really want to keep running ads when my cost of acquisition is $70 for a $15 item? Does it make sense? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I do not. (laughs) Yeah. Maureen, we've got a rule of no live math on the podcast, but with that one, it's pretty clear to me. I do not want to keep running those ads. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of losing money, can we talk about revenue leaks? Mm. Talk about revenue leaks. I know you look at it uh, from a couple different lenses, and maybe we talked, we hinted at this as we talked about the seasonality of yes. our product line, but... Talk to me about identifying revenue leaks in the business, how I think some of that leads to inventory issues that leads into challenges with cash flow. Like what's your take on identifying and like, you know, identifying, maybe fixing those, those revenue leaks. So I'll come from it from a marketing perspective. The first way I have identified revenue leaks is through people's strategic marketing calendar. And I say this, we talked, we alluded to it about seasonality. In an e-commerce space, the way I've been taught how to build brands is we usually have four seasons where we are creating demand to trigger purchases. Because people have to remember cultural moments trigger purchasing decisions. That's just how everything works. Mm-hmm. And in the e- in the emerging space, a lot of people haven't been exposed to a four-peak selling strategy mainly because we are, we live in a very reactive world and we only think about Black Friday, Cyber Monday and maybe Valentine's or Mother's Day. So how I identify this is I ask people, when are you planning to have key selling moments? When are you planning to trigger demand? And I tell people, I know you have this too. I need you to identify two other seasons throughout the year so that you're you're not you're not experiencing too big of a dip. Yeah, great. Right, and, and these and these moments. Just to clarify, mm-hmm. uh, so we're we're not talking about Black Friday. We're not talking no. about Cyber Monday. So, we're so, not ta- so the point, probably not even talking about fourth quarter. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this is so. Book. I always think about your brand. What does your brand stand for? Now, based on what your brand stands for, identify a season that is going to be a big gifting moment for you. Not all brands need to do Valentine's. Not all brands need to do Mother's Day. Not all brands need to do back to school. Based on your big idea, what's a big gifting moment that you know you can really stand by? I have a client of mine who sells, um, she sells, uh, what am, I'm forgetting her, it's dry, dried flowers. Mm. And yeah. she sells this and her big idea is all about connection. Her biggest moment the entire year is February. Sure. Right? That's it. So based on your big idea, find a gifting moment. Then based on your creativity and your budget, I want you to find a time where you're going to have a new product release or you're going to have a re-release during your downtime. In the beauty space, one of my clients, she barely makes any money in July, August, and a bit of September. Mm. So what we've done this year, we've decided people love your brightening bundle. We're just going to sell them the brightening bundle 
during those two times. It's not a new product, but what we're going to do from a marketing perspective, we're going to come and show up in a much bigger and better way and make people think it's a new product. Right. That's right. Really, it's, it's like, like a, we're just highlighting it in this season. We're just highlighting, right? Mm-hmm. Then the other time is, goes back to your big idea. If you're, what is a cultural moment you really want to stand by? So for example, if you're in the hair care space, September is alopecia month. Mm-hmm. If your hair care product helps with growth or helps with um, hair loss, you could create a whole campaign around alopecia month. Yeah. I have yeah. a client who is big on women. So we run this entire women's gold campaign because she sources her shea butter from Nigeria and Ghana. So guess what her, her big campaign, when her big campaign is March. Yeah. Yep. Tied to right. Women's History Month and International Women's it, Day it, and all of it, that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then the fourth yeah. one is the traditional holiday, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. When you map that out based on your brand, you'll see a calendar that has peaks and valleys. But those valleys are not bad times. Those valleys are helping you prepare for the next peak season. Mm. Yeah. The benefit of that is that, first of all, you're reducing a lot of risk with your cash flow. Right? Because you you know that, okay, I'm going to spend a lot of money here in marketing and people are going to buy. So you're constantly up and down versus... Mm putting all your efforts and all your eggs into two seasons and you don't know whether it's going to sell out. Yeah. Yeah. That can be really scary for a brand too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're, especially with brands, I don't know if you see this too, Maureen, but I see brands who put all their eggs in the Black Friday basket yeah. or all, you know, Cyber Monday into December, right? Basically mm-hmm. like holiday sales, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a giftable product. Like we're going all in on holiday sales, but they haven't spent the rest of the year. Yeah. Finding new audiences, exactly warming up those audiences, nurturing those audiences. So every Black Friday, they're just talking to the same people, same people. Yeah, who, frankly, unsubscribe. Yeah, yep. And this strategy basically shows you every season you're bringing in a new customer. Yeah, this new customer buys the first season; they're going to repeat on the second season. So it also helps you maximize the lifetime value and it's highly profitable for your business. Mm. And you're just you're not dependent on one time. So by the time you're getting to December, they've been with you all through. Right, exactly. They bought something in June. Yeah. And maybe like, you know, let's say it's the face mask that yeah. runs out every six months. Yeah. You've been emailing them, right? Like making sure they're running down their product. Exactly. And then you pop in for Cyber Monday and all of a sudden they're ready to (laughs) repurchase. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would literally tell people to try this exercise because I was blown away when I ran the numbers for one of my clients when we did the Women's Gold campaign last March. One customer spent about $50 initial purchase by the end of the year. They had spent about a thousand five hundred. Wow! Wow! Just, so you just do that strategy, right? So you, you know, this sounds a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm hesitant to say it this way, but I will. Um, we hook them with yeah. the initial campaign <laughs> in the nicest, most ethical way possible. We hook them with the initial campaign, and then they're yeah. in your sales exactly. system, yeah. and they buy again and again. Mm-hmm. And it's We're absolutely not waiting until that fourth quarter. 
Yeah. Mm. And it's not a bad it's not a bad thing because you're actually leaving that with the big brands you're buying from right now. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. You've worked with big brands. I'm sure you saw this on yeah. the on the big yeah. brand side. Especially if you're into beauty and you buy at Sephora. I know my people. We fall for this trap. <laughs> Every every season, right? I'm like, oh, I gotta buy it on sale right exactly. now, or I gotta like exactly, yeah, yep. Buyer psychology, yeah. Orion and I are both here shaking our head um, <laughs> on video. They yeah. get us, yeah. The big brands know what they're doing, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I bought a bronzer from Charlotte Tilbury, and then they released this new lipstick. I'm there buying. I'm like, it's the same damn thing. Why am I doing this? Just think for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'll say, Maureen, this is such a great, this is <laughs> proof that it works, even on someone like you mm-hmm. who knows what they're doing is happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It works. Yeah, it works. Mm. Just, just Maureen, I could, every time. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours yeah. about sales strategy, but... We'll just have to have you back on the podcast to continue this conversation. Yeah. But before I let you go today, I've got two questions for you. First, is there anything, Maureen, that you wish I had asked you or that I forgot to ask you that you really want to make sure our listeners hear today or know about you? Is there anything I forgot? No, I think what I usually tell people when I'm talking about a brand is it's not a cookie cutter strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my taglines is, as human beings, we're all all unique. And because of that, your brand is very unique. So as you're really thinking about creating something, creating a big idea, really sit down and think about the uniqueness of your brand. And don't look at what the competitors are doing. Don't, Don't even bother. You can put your blinders on, but sometimes I don't recommend putting your blinders on. What I recommend doing is identifying what's the gap? Like, where can you fit in? What is it that they, that they are doing that you wish they did? Find that gap, hone in on it, and and express that. Yeah, Because that's I, your uniqueness. Because I feel like people try, we're getting to a point where every the market is highly saturated. And a lot of people are getting defeated and feeling very deflated because of that. But I tell people that it's always been saturated, but you are a human being. You are unique. So is your brand. What I want you to do is find your big idea, find that rallying cry and bring it to life. Yeah. Find collaborators outside of your category. If you're finding beauty category is so saturated, go and collaborate with somebody in the food space. Go and yeah. somebody in the medical, like just coll- cross collaborate because that's where your your genius lies. That's where your magic will come out. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate the message or the permission <laughs> to show up as ourselves, yeah, and shout out, yeah, shout our big why, shout mm-hmm. about what makes us unique, and really use that as a as a strength, yeah. You know, to differentiate ourselves. Yeah. Thank you. Because thank you for marketing. Permission. Marketing is a skill. You will see Ali, Maureen out here marketing, but with all honesty, you can acquire that skill. Nobody is born a great marketer. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely don't. And I mean, I can't, no? I can't tell you how many marketing courses I invested yeah. in and consultants we worked mm-hmm. with and 
Gosh, I mean, I don't know. I was doing very quickly was trying to do the math there. We probably have spent $100,000 on yeah. marketing over the past yeah. 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10, 10K a year for 10 years, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we still don't know all the tri- tips and tricks and things that we're doing, right? It's it's constantly changing. Yeah. Okay, last question for you, Maureen. Give me the, give our listeners the shameless plug, full permission to tell us where can they find you? How can they work with you? Like, give us the, give us the sales pitch. Got it. <laughs> so because we've talked a lot about sales, marketing, branding, I think the I have a I have a training like a ten minute training that really will teach you how to uncap your growth without changing your branding or your packaging. It's gonna help you identify what, where those pockets where I can increase my sales without spending anything more. And I call it like my maximizer, my sales maximizer training. The awesome. URL will be dropped in, down in the show notes. Ali will do that. And if you want to come and hang out with me, interact with me, you can find me on my Instagram page. My Instagram handle is Maureen Wangi Official. Just my full names with the word official towards the end. Awesome. <laughs> Maureen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. I cannot wait to do another session. I can't wait to get you inside of Retail Ready and maybe mm-hmm. answering some student questions in there. You are such a wealth of knowledge for our yeah, brands who are trying to grow their sales, particularly Daniel. around e-com. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'll bring you over on my podcast so we can do a cross collaboration. That sounds so fun. Yes. All right, my whizzes. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. Maureen shared so many gems of strategic gems of wisdom and things that you can implement, things you can think about today. And I'm really, really grateful that she gave us her time. So if you, like I said, if you want to find out more about working with Maureen, the first step is to go and download that free training. She had the 10-minute sales maximizer. I just love that name. We'll link it up in our show notes. So as always, we want to know which pieces of strategic advice you needed to hear the most today. So come and connect with us on Instagram. You'll find Maureen's handle in our show notes. My new handle in our show notes. We're now at Food Biz Wiz. Find us there. And we will be back next week with an original recipe series from Gabby. See you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Wiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.